It's great to see you. If you're a guest, my name's David. I'm the pastor. We are so glad you're here. I appreciate about four weeks. Uh, Joe did. Joe did a great job. appreciate everything about Joe and, and what he does. And uh, he wrote a great series. I have uh, nothing that I would change or correct. Uh, only one thing. Two weeks ago, Joe said that he, uh, he was the butt of most of my jokes. And uh, he's half right uh, in that statement there. But I noticed, I noticed that for four weeks... You always had someone bring your table out for you, and you're not around, and here I had, you know, I had to go send the, the help from the music guy to go get it, you know, thanks, Joe. He said that uh, if you haven't been here in a while, things might be different. I prefer to think things might be back to normal, but that's just me, I don't know. A lot of you uh, over the last few weeks and months have been praying for my wife, Debbie, and on her half, on her half, I want to thank you. Uh, she appreciates you so much. It means a lot to her and to me. And I know you would like to do more. And there's nothing more you can do. But that's enough. And have faith and have confidence that eventually things will be okay. With Christ, everything turns out just the way he wants it. Acts 25, verse 23 so, on the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice came amid great pomp and entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at the command of Festus, who, by the way, was the governor of that area, Paul was brought before them. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all you gentlemen present with us, you see this man about whom all the people of the Jews appeal to me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. And then I paraphrase what comes next. He says, what do I do? What do I do with Paul? And today we begin a nine-week journey about Paul, whose real name is Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And nobody influence the movement of Jesus Christ as a follower of Jesus Christ more than Paul. To this day, he is the most influential person to have ever followed Jesus. Every doctrine we have has been influenced to some capacity by this man. And we begin the journey we're going to take with him in chapter 26 of Acts, with calling, what it means to be called. And as we do this, here's what I want you to see from this message today. And really, to be honest, this is what I want you to see from the whole series. And this is important. And if you write stuff down, write stuff down, do this. If you don't, just memorize it because it's not that hard. But here it is. The story of Jesus is the most important story in the world. And how his story impacts your story is the most important story in your world. No one matters more than Jesus. And in your life, your life, you've got to understand that he will change your life and he will change your story. So we begin today with historic encounter. That's what we have here in Acts chapter 25 and 26. And to understand this, I want to go back to about 100 years. 
to help you understand that 100 years before this, there was a man who was the third generation of a, a basically a bunch of you know, civil servants to some degree in the Roman world. This man was half Jewish. He was half an Edomite. And in a civil war that ensued after the death of Caesar, Julius Caesar, he sided with the right side. He was on the side of a guy named Octavius. And as a reward, Octavius made him the ruler, the head honcho, answerable only to the Romans in the area that for simplicity's sake we call Israel. He became the king of the Jews. His name was Herod. We know him as Herod the Great. He was a great builder and in many ways a great politician. In 20 BC, he began the reconstruction of the beautiful temple of Israel to get it to his greatest glory. This man built roads. And he, he helped put down uh, insurrections. I mean, he, he, he was competent, but he was also insanely evil, both insane and evil. I mean, he butchered and murdered people, including members of his own family. He had 10 wives. He killed some of them, killed some of his sons. In fact, Someone in Rome once said, it's better to be the pig of Herod than his son. I mean, he was brutal. And this was the guy in the Christmas story that the Magi came to. And when the Magi came to him in his jealousy, he sought to try to kill this one born, the king of the Jews, Jesus, who is the Christ, that one. He wanted to kill him, so he just slaughtered. He ordered the slaughtering of all the children of Bethlehem. This is that guy. He died in 4 B.C., he had numerous sons. Four of his sons are somehow either mentioned or referred to in the New Testament. In all told, at least seven members of Herod's family, and male members of his family, not counting the female members of his family, are mentioned or referenced in the New Testament. And their names are confusing because they only had two or three different names that they all shared. It's crazy. And they intermarried with one another. It's just a crazy thing. And this one son that matters the most is named Antipas. And... Uh, Antipater, Antipas. And Antipas was the man who killed John the Baptist and who had Jesus appear before him. His nephew, the son of one of the sons that Herod killed, would eventually come into play. And his name was Agrippa I. And Agrippa I was the one to whom James, the brother of John, the apostle, came before and was killed. And he would have killed Peter too, except Peter escaped. And before he could do any more damage to the Christian movement, he died of basically rot gut. That's just how I would tell you. That's kind of a crude way, but his gut's just is gone. Three generations of Herods have been, in essence, persecuting Christ in the Christian movement. Three generations. And now a fourth came along. His name was Agrippa II. And over a period of time, he became also kind of the king of the air. Now, he, he was different. He was kind of the white sheep of the family. He was the one member of Herod's family who, to some degree, appeared to be a fairly decent guy. And in about 59 AD, Festus, the brand new governor of the area of Israel, asked him to come do him a favor because Festus had this guy named Paul. And the Jews wanted to kill this guy named Paul. Now, Paul was the one person who, you know, was just absolutely doing some incredible things in the Greco-Roman world for the cause of Christ. I mean, Paul had spent 10 years taking three different journeys to start churches, to share the gospel. I mean, the Greco-Roman world around the Mediterranean Sea was just changing to some capacity because of the Christian movement, and Paul was leading the way. And he would continue to lead the way 
three years after this, a few years after this. And Paul was here because he had gone to the temple in Jerusalem at about 58 AD, after he'd taken three journeys, and the Jews accused him of trying to bring a Gentile into the temple, which he didn't do, and they wanted to kill him. And fortunately, the Romans intervened, and so he'd been kind of sitting in jail. And so now Paul appears before Agrippa II. And you've got to understand this. Here is the primary mover and shaker at that time of the Christian movement, standing before the fourth generation of Herods to have had some capacity of ruling a dynasty that had been committed to the eradication of the Christian movement to some capacity or another. This is a major moment. He can get this guy to come to Jesus, it could have major ramifications for the followers of Christ in moving forward. And so he comes, and there's all these people there. I mean, there's Jews everywhere because the Jews want to kill Paul. They're trying to make their effort to get rid of this guy. There's Roman officials, and, you know, and, and, and then there's, there's Agrippa and his sister Bernice is there. And in case you don't know, church, you know, not the church, but uh, secular historians, Josephus indicates that Agrippa had a thing for his sister, and there was a scandal of all that. I mean, there's just all this intrigue going on. And in all this, Paul focuses on one person. In this passage, Paul is concerned with one guy, Agrippa. And you and I get to kind of listen in on the conversation, which Luke gives us as a summary of what happens. And Paul says, it's a privilege to be before you, Agrippa, because I know you were well-versed in Jewish custom, in Jewish law. In other words, I know that in some way you practiced the Jewish faith, and he did. And I want you to know I'm here today because of these guys, because I practiced the Jewish faith to its completeness. I'm here, and he says this, and we get this in verse 6. Here's why I'm here. I'm standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. Now, he is saying this. There was a promise made by God at that day and age in the first century. The Jews believed and the Jewish leaders believed that their scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, the people that wrote them, who they called the prophets, they wrote about a hope. And that hope was a Messiah. In other words, they believe that their scriptures pointed to a Messiah who would rescue them. You know when I say, and I say this all the time in that whole series I did in Samuel. When I said the Old Testament promises something and the New Testament says it came to fulfillment. This is why. Because they all believe their scriptures promised something. They all believe that their scriptures promised a Messiah. And Paul's saying, this is why I'm here. Because of this promise of a Messiah. And then he links that promise to something else the Jews believed, which was resurrection. Because other than Sadducees, all the Jews, including Herod, believed there would be a resurrection. And then Paul asked this question in verse 8. Why is it considered incredible or impossible by these Jewish people? Agrippa, why do these guys think it's impossible if God raises the dead? Because they believe in God raising the dead. And he takes the hope, which is Jesus, and the resurrection, which was Jesus, and he links them together. And then he begins to explain the story of Jesus and how it impacted his story. Verse 9, Paul talks about him being like one of them guys out there. I thought to myself, 
that I had to act in strong opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That is the historical Jesus. He doesn't call him Christ. He doesn't call him Lord. He is talking about how he had thought 25 years previous to this when he was converted or when he was saved on the road there to Damascus. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, but after receiving authority from the chief priests, in other words, I was involved in locking up the believers of Jesus. And I had the authority of the chief priest. Now, you need to understand, Paul was a rising star in Jewish world. He was a Pharisee. And he was brilliant. And they all knew he was brilliant. And he was, like, unbelievable in his ability to think and to share and eventually to write. And he was saying, they gave me the authority. Now, Paul was probably speaking Greek to Agrippa because Paul would have known Greek, Hebrew, you know, Aramaic, probably Latin. But he's probably speaking Greek to, to Agrippa, who, is, who, while he's Jewish, is, this is kind of a Greco-Roman world. But the word authority then, um, in which Luke gives us this account, means raw of power. It's not ability as much as right. I had the right from the chief priest. So I cast my vote against them, that is Christians, when they were being put to death. So when it came time to kill the Christians, I voted kill them, kill them all. Now, this is an interesting thing because we know in Acts chapter 7 and in the chapter that uh, Paul was there with the stoning of Stephen. And he appears to be a young man. He kind of held the coats. And, and so some, some question about whether Paul is, is being accurate in saying that Christians were being killed because there's no other accounts in the book of Acts. So let me just let me say something a little bit. Paul's life is controversial. It's only controversial because he's such a threat to the way we think and believe that if you are not someone who is what we may say conservative in your understanding of Christ, if you are more liberal or bent that way, Paul causes you great difficulty. So it is common to try to discount somehow who Paul is, what he wrote, and what he did. And same thing with Luke. And so I read all the time, you know, so-called scholars, whatever that means. I have no idea what that means anymore. You know, saying, well, you know, Paul's exaggerating or Luke has it wrong because, you know, there's no other accounts mentioned in Acts or anywhere else. Well, first of all, let me just say this. Just because it's not in Acts doesn't mean it didn't happen. Luke didn't say I wrote everything. He just wrote just a tiny bit. He just wrote a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. I think it was last week when Joe was uh, preaching in, in, um, about Jesus, about reaching people. And he mentioned in John that John, towards the end of his book, said, I just wrote some. If I wrote everything about Jesus, there's not enough books to contain it. They didn't write everything. They just wrote a little bit. Just a little bit. And the other thing I would say to you, and I, this may seem strange, but I think Paul and Luke knew more about what happened back then than a bunch of knuckleheads today. I really do. I think these, these, these guys and gals who just sit up in there, you know, and they're in their big fancy whatever they have and, and pontificating about how it's not possible that could have happened is all we know on this. What in the world? How do you think you know more than Paul? Paul was there, knucklehead. <laughs> Half these knuckleheads hadn't pastored a church. They wouldn't even know the first thing to do about helping people come to Jesus. I mean, Paul was there. He said, I cast my vote. And Paul said he cast his vote cast his vote. And verse 11 says this, and I punish them often. The word punishes means violence. And in the synagogues, the synagogue wasn't just the building, but it was the people. He gathered with the people to punish them. And I tried to force them to blaspheme or, or to renounce or reject Jesus. Since I was extremely enraged with them. The word extremely enraged means furious. It's kind of what I was just a few seconds ago when I was talking about all those people who said that about Paul, you know. To be extremely enraged. 
That's the feeling you get sometimes when you're driving and people are at the light and it turns green and they won't go. <laughs> Anticipate. Look to the side. It's red. It's, you know, it's green. It turns yellow red. You're next. And he says, I kept on pursuing them to foreign cities. I kept pursuing them. I was relentless, vigilant. And then he says this, where he was going, verse 12. While so engaged, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. And then at midday, now he's going to talk about his experience on the Damascus road. Now three times in the book of Acts, we read about Paul's experience on the Damascus Road. Now, it's the same story. He tells it a little different each time depending on his audience. There again, people get bent out of shape. Well, he tells us three different accounts. You know, Luke wrote the first. He gives it, then Paul the other two. Listen, this sermon I'm preaching now isn't exactly the same as the one I preached at 8.30. I cut some things out of that one because they don't mean nothing to you. And I add some things into this one. This one ain't going to mean nothing to them. So they're not exactly the same, but they're the same. Guess what that means? At midday, O king, I saw on the way a great light from heaven, brighter than the sun. It blinded him. It was shining around me and those who were journeying with me. They, they all saw it. You know, they saw the light. They saw the sun. It blinded them. All of that happened. And verse 14, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect. Now, he's, he's going to start quoting Jesus. And Jesus spoke to him in Hebrew. He's speaking in Greek, but he's going to say, what I'm telling you now, I heard in Hebrew. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul. That is the name of Saul, of Paul. So he's referring to himself by his name. He's, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, the slight said, why are you coming after me? You're not persecuting my people. You're not just persecuting those who are followers. You're persecuting me. It's hard for you to kick against the Goaz. Now, this is the only time this, in the three accounts this line is mentioned. This is basically a cattle prod. You know, if you've anything about had cattle, you probably have a cattle prod. It was a short stick or a stick that pointed into it. Uh, my mom had some of those for raising me. It seemed not to have worked very hard, very well, you know. He says this, why are you fighting against me? You can't win this. And I said, who are you, Lord? And he understands something's going on. And he refers to this light as the Lord. Who are you? And the Lord said, well, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting Paul. I am the resurrected Jesus. This is. Paul's experience with the resurrected Christ. None of us will ever have this experience with the resurrected Jesus. This is the last of the accounts of the resurrection of Christ. I've said this so many times. It's so important. Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. In Acts, uh, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about some of the resurrection appearances of Christ, including the one to him. This is important. This is Jesus appearing to Paul. And then we see what Jesus has in store for him. Get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you. This is the reason I appear to you. To appoint you. The word appoint means to set aside the specific reason. To appoint you as both a servant for me and for others and a witness. Acts 1.8. Jesus told the apostles, you will be my witnesses. He's saying, you are my witness to the things which you have seen, but also... 
the things that I will appear to you. There's more to come. And here's what I want you to know, Paul. Understand this. This is important. I will rescue you when you're captured, when you're taken, when you're whipped, when you're in chains like he is right now. I will rescue from the Jews and the Gentiles. Because those are the people I'm sending you to. The word send means Apostello means to go. It's an official term. You're an apostle. He says, Paul, I'm calling you to do something special. It's common for us to talk about Paul's experience as being his conversion. In fact, they even said a while ago, the conversion of Paul. You need to understand, Paul really wasn't converted. Paul was not converted to anything. He, He didn't change gods. Same God. He didn't change religions. He was Jewish. He just accepted the fulfillment of what it meant to be Jewish. But what Paul was, was called. He was called by Jesus to follow him. When, when Jesus came to Peter and Andrew and James and John, you, you know what he did? He said, come, follow me. He called. He calls us to life of following him. In fact, understand this. We're not asked to convert to something. We are called to commit to someone. Now, I know we use the word conversion. I I get all that. But I want you to understand, in reality, we're not asked to convert to something. Jesus never called people to convert. He didn't say, here's a system of beliefs, and I want you to change what you believe, and now believe this system I put together. No. Jesus just said this, you come, follow me. What they call people to do, they call people to repent of sin and believe and to trust and to follow. It's a calling to follow, and probably, maybe, it's possible. We would have... More success helping people who aren't followers of Jesus become followers of Jesus if we quit trying to get them to believe in a system and follow a Savior who will change their life. And later on, they can believe all the stuff. He continued, Jesus did, and what he wanted Paul to do. Notice two things. To open their eyes so that, with the purpose that, they may, first of all, turn Turn how? Turn from darkness to light. Darkness oftentimes represents either ignorance or evil. Turn from darkness to life. Turn from the authority, the power of Satan to God. In other words, you've got to turn from what you're doing now, Paul. And I want you to get those people I'm sending you to, the Gentiles, like Agrippa, to turn. To turn from their rebellion against God to God. And then the second thing I want them to do is to receive what they are going to receive, forgiveness of sins. That's kind of important. To receive the forgiveness and an inheritance. Now, the Jews all thought they were the ones to inherit the kingdom of God. It's clear throughout the New Testament that us Gentiles get to inherit something too. And it's based on something. It's based on having been sanctified. That's a fancy, fancy term. It means to be made right. It means to be made right with God. We were sinners in rebellion against God. Saul was that way. Agrippa is that way. To be sanctified in him, in Jesus, and only Jesus, no other way, by faith. What an important word faith is. In a few moments, we're going to see the word believe. Faith is the noun, pistis. Believe is the verb, pistua. It means to trust. Here's what he's saying. Paul, I'm sending you out to teach people. To trust me. To follow me. That's what we're to do, by the way. To help people follow Jesus. The other day we were in staff meeting, and it came up, evidently, 
uh, someone somewhere something got passed around or comment or something. I guess it got back to us, got back to me now. That we don't have a um, evangelistic system. We don't have a we don't have a strategy for evangelizing people, which is odd since Wednesday night we baptized thirteen. But whatever. And no, we don't have classes that teach you how to do X, Y, and Z. But here's the thing, and, and I want you to get this. This is so important because this is what Paul did, what Paul was called to do. And our evangelism strategy is this, and it comes from Jesus speaking to Paul. Here it is. We share the story of Jesus and how his story changed our story. That's our strategy, in case you were wondering. You know where you find the story of Jesus? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of you remember the first of the year, 17 weeks we spent in the book of Mark, where I shared with you the story of Jesus, where I said every week to you, go share the story of Jesus. Listen, I don't want to be harsh, but if you're not getting that right, don't blame me and don't blame the church. That's your fault. Get off your rear end. And go take the story of Jesus and tell people how his story changed your story. That's the strategy. That's what Paul did. And here's the cool thing. Paul then began to tell Agrippa, that's what I did. I just did what Jesus told me to do. And now the Jews are trying to kill me. And then Festus, this Gentile who has no clue as to what's going on, says, Paul, you are out of your mind your unbelievable knowledge is driving you crazy. And Paul says, I'm not crazy. Agrippa knows this. And then he asks Agrippa this question. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. The word believe means to have faith in them. He's not just saying have faith in the prophets, those guys. But remember, they thought back then that when the prophets wrote, they were pointing to the Messiah. He had just got through saying the Messiah is Jesus who fulfills what the prophets wrote. The evidence of that, it is resurrection. Do you believe, Agrippa? Do you believe? Understand this, belief in Jesus, that is faith, is always tied to his resurrection. It is always tied to his resurrection. We don't want you to just believe in Jesus that he existed. We want you to trust the Jesus who God raised from the dead. Belief and resurrection are inseparable. And when you tell the story of Jesus, you are telling the story of the one who rose again. And you're telling how that story changed your life. Because nothing is more important to your story than to believe in Jesus. Nothing matters more than to believe in Jesus. And Agrippa doesn't want to believe He doesn't want to change his life like so many people who encounter Christ. So Agrippa replied to Paul, in such a short time, Paul, are you going to persuade me to make a Christian of myself? Paul, you think you're going to change me? Paul said, I wish to God that even in a short or long time, not only you, but all who hear me this day would become like me, except for the chains on my wrists. Agrippa walks away. A few years later in 66 AD, the Jews begin to revolt against the Romans and Agrippa tries to keep them from revolting. He fails. And so Agrippa makes a choice. He chooses to side with Rome. 
and he begins to fight against his own people. In 68, Nero dies. A civil war breaks out. Who's going to be the emperor? It's a very short one. But once again, like his great-granddaddy, this Herod, made the right choice. He chose the the father of Titus, (laughs) the Sapien. Vespapian. Joe, what's the name? Vespapian? Yeah, something. I had it in the first service. In this service, I just completely got it. Anybody else got the name? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, God, I don't know. Just yell it out. It's okay. It's the only time you get to talk back to me. <laughs> Vespasian. There it is. All the, I remember Vespasian. Well, that's embarrassing. It's the climactic part of my message. Can't remember the guy's name. He sides with him. He wins out. His son Titus, his general, continues the war against the Jews. And in 70 AD, goes into the city of Jerusalem. Destroys the city. And then get this. Titus walks into the temple. Agrippa's great granddaddy built and destroys the temple of the Jews. And when that happened, the religion of the Jews was wiped out. I have no idea if things would have been different. If Agrippa had come to Christ. But I do tell you this, Agrippa's life would have been different. And maybe, just maybe, things wouldn't have gone down the way they did. Whatever happened, he had a chance with Jesus and he walked away from his encounter. Today, you have an historic encounter. And you're either like Agrippa or you're like Paul. Like Agrippa, you're not a follower of Jesus. You may believe in God, you may believe in religion, you may believe in whatever else. But here's the truth. You're not following Jesus, and that's all that matters. Some of you, church has never been a part of your life. Some of you were involved in church and you left church. Whatever the reason, whatever happens, here's what I know. You left Jesus behind in some place. But now you can follow him and trust him. Some of you in the story are like Paul. You have the chance to go to the people who need Christ. You have the Agrippas in your life. And you got to decide whether or not you're going to go to them. Whether or not you're going to bring your story to them. So here's the question I want to ask you today. How is the story of Jesus going to impact your story? How is the story of Jesus going to impact your story? If you've never trusted Christ, you can do that right now. You can give your life to him and follow him and turn from your sin, turn from your darkness and become a follower. In just a moment when we stand here, you can come and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. If you know people who need Christ, well, let me ask you this. Who is your Agrippa then? Who are you going to go to? When are you going to go to them and what are you going to say? What are you going to say to them? Man, they need Jesus. And you know Jesus. So here's the thing. When you walk out of here today, remember this. The story of Jesus is the most important story in all the world. And how his story impacts your story is the most important story in your world. So, Father, thank you for Paul before Agrippa. Thank you for this story and how this story can impact our life. Father, please let this story become our story. And that we can go to people and help them become followers of Jesus. That we can help them follow Christ. Now, Father, when we walk out of here today, we can walk out knowing that the story of Christ is so impacted our life. That our life will never be the same. And the people around us will never be the same. All for you. And all for your glory. 
Amen. Would you stand? You come. We'll greet you.